you find yourself in the Hurt Take in 2018. New year, baby. A new year means a new podcast. No, that's not true. Okay. Not a new podcast. It's the same old podcast you remember and love. We're not going anywhere. We're not doing anything new. This is still the MMA podcast for the fans, by the fans. I am still your host, Reese Dobigan, and I want to welcome you back. Sorry, I've only done the show once in the last few weeks here, but there's been a lot going on in my life. Uh, just had a child, had my first, my first child, a son, little baby Oliver, super exciting. I won't bore you with the delivery details, but needless to say, it was a trip. Had to catch my own baby, no joke, pretty wild. Just moved at the same time, five days after my baby was born, bought my first house. So now you're talking to a guy with a kid and a mortgage, which means that this podcast better start making me some money real soon, real soon, because I am broke. I got payments to make, people, big payments. So if you want to send me a little bit of cash in the mail, I take e-transfers too. I need it. I need it, people. Got to pay my mortgage. Got to keep a house over my head here. UFC 219 was this past weekend. The UFC normally ends the year on a kind of a bigger uh, premier card that they try to build out. This year, uh, boy, it was kind of up in the air still until the beginning of the, the month of December. There was still a lot undetermined. Uh, we thought for a period of time maybe Conor McGregor was going to be on that card and uh, then after he jumped in the cage in Bellator, all of a sudden rumors came out that maybe he had been pulled as a result of that. Who knows how true that was. We were supposed to get Tyron Woodley, possibly against Nate Diaz. Of course, Nate Diaz, as he has wanted to do now, has essentially said, stuck up two middle fingers. He either wants Conor McGregor or a boatload of money. So he said no to that, presumably. Uh, that left them without another fight that they thought they were going to get on that card. Instead, we were left with still... A nice card on paper when you looked at it. Still a lot of really good narratives. Uh, of course, at the top, Chris Cyborg Justino. Arguably the best women's MMA fighter there's ever been. Uh, certainly, if you go by pound for pound as a 145-er, uh, being heavier than Ronda Rousey, who many would consider, myself included, uh, if not the best, at least 1B as the best female fighter there's ever been. Uh, but Cyborg's bigger. So, of course, this was an opportunity for her against the woman to end Ronda Rousey's reign, Holly Holm, to cement herself and give herself that title. No questions, no ifs, ands, or buts. Now, of course, going into this fight, there was a lot uh, to be said in terms of skepticism about that title for Cyborg. I mean, who has she fought? She's never really fought anyone. She, I mean, there's just, there is just a dearth of opponents. It's a wasteland at the 145-pound division for women. Most of the time, Cyborg is fighting 135ers who blew up and, and fought her at 145. She's a one, a naturally a 145-er, nearly killed herself getting down to 135 limits uh, in the past. Her, you know, her biggest competition before was Marlis Conan, who, uh, who was old by the point that, that Cyborg beat her down. Uh, Gina Carano was more the, the high-profile bout that she got. That wasn't really a big thing. Holly Holm kind of represented the first legitimate threat 
uh, or, or matchup that was truly interesting for Cyborg. And the funny thing about that is, even on paper there, Holly Holm, there was a lot of skepticism and a lot of questions as to whether that was true. When you look at Holly Holm's career, yes, boxing champion. Uh, a lot of accomplishments in, in, the, in the squared circle. In the cage, same thing. A lot of accomplishments there. But there's no doubting that qualitatively, Holly Holm often has left a lot to be desired. Other than her fight against Ronda Rousey um, and, and a number of her fights on the regional circuit where she knocked out a bunch of, you know, soccer moms, basically, with head kicks, Holly Holm has not done a lot in the pro game. She has not looked uh, that amazing. She has not looked like that much of a world beater. And then when you recognized why that is, that that she she's an evasive fighter, she is an outfighter, meaning she likes to be on a kicking range and moving uh, throughout the cage. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. But a lot of the best outfighters in the game also have killer instinct. They also have a lot of pop in their hands, and they can catch you coming in as counter strikers. Uh, and a lot of the best stick and movers, they can really put you know. They punish you for getting in cl for getting too close. Holly Holm has never been that fighter. She does not have a lot of pop in her hands. Quite honestly, she has pillows for hands. You know, she does not put a lot of sting on her punches. And so coming in against Cyborg, who's... Her, her stock and trade is, is power punching, the ability to, to rattle you. This did not look like a good matchup. And it proved to not be a good matchup. Cyborg uh, looked more patient than she's ever been. She really pressured well, cut the cage well, and um, and ultimately she played kind of the predatory counter striker game. She waited until Holly was forced to have to engage with her, and then she returned with big shots. And she really, she really landed some big shots on Holly. Never, um, never, never really rattled Holly home. It wasn't like there was ever a moment in the fight where you thought, you know. Holly's on Holly's on, on Queer Street. Is she there? Is she maybe this is the end? Uh, but Holly Holm is a tough, tough fighter. So I don't know that that was ever going to happen. But she really took some some hard shots. It, when when Holm landed, uh, they just looked like they were, you know, connecting. When Cyborg landed, she was moving home, off base. She was she was knocking home to the side uh, and moving her around. And ultimately, Cyborg went all the way to the end and, and took the decision. And, and you know, it, it kind of played out exactly as I, I thought that it would play out. I thought that, you know, mostly, uh, uh, not entirely, I guess I should say, I thought that Cyborg would get the finish. Um, but, I mean, come on. she you, That was about as, as close as you can get to being on the doorstep of a finish and not getting it. Uh, some of those shots she landed were, were pretty significant. I was a little bit surprised, quite honestly. Um, and, and now this isn't something I thought going into the fight, but I realized it near the end. When Holmes started using a lot of kind of sidekicking games, uh, you know, she started standing in a bladed stance, bladed stance a bit more. Uh, so not, not square up with Cyborg, but she would turn her hips so she was perpendicular with Cyborg. A really great example is... Uh, Stephen Thompson stands in a bladed stance, that karate stance. I I thought 
you know, in hindsight, maybe she should have used that kind of a game. A lot of sidekicks. Uh, she's clearly got the kicking ability. You know, I think she could have used a sidekicking game. Because uh, Cyborg was moving straight in on her. Now, Cyborg was very, very patient. But she was moving straight in on her. You know, and, and then when Cyborg got too close, Holly seemed to have no answer but to throw hands. She could have used a sidekicking game. If she had stood bladed, she could have used sidekicks, straight kicks to the gut, straight kicks to the leg to really uh, jam Cyborg coming in and keep her from getting too close. Because otherwise, everywhere else, she, she really didn't look too great. She, you know, she looked good early on in the clinch in terms of just negating Cyborg, not really getting any advantages. But then later in the fight, Cyborg started landing some pretty hard knees. Um... And that was it, man. That and that was that. It was. It, it seemed pretty elementary after a while. Um, so I guess at now at this point, you you really, I don't know how much you could argue against Cyborg as the best female fighter there's ever been. She's now beaten the woman who beat the previous, you know, the the person who many would have considered other than her, Ronda Rousey. So why not? Why not? I have no problem with it. Of course, my problem again. Anyone who's listened to this show knows my problem with women's MMA is there's not a lot of depth. Uh, and, and Cyborg's a great example. That it's taken essentially this long for her to really get an opponent that she can kind of kind of get a scalp to hang her hat on. It's taken her this long to do it because they're just aren't they just aren't there. They just don't exist. Now, uh, after the fight, Cyborg kind of said she wants to take on Invicta champ Megan Anderson, who she was scheduled, albeit, albeit briefly, to actually fight this year. Um, that's a good matchup. I mean, that's another good... Megan Anderson is a natural 145-er. Uh, that would be a good matchup. That would be... I mean, I think that's the only other logical one um, for her. Cyborg also said she would like to fight Amanda Nunes, but that one's a bit stranger to me because of course that that a lot of that depends on what Nunez is going to do. Nunez hasn't really even cleaned out 135. She's got a lot of work to do there. Uh would the UFC even be interested in giving Nunez a jump up to fight Cyborg? Not to mention again the predatory nature of let's send up our 135 champ to very likely get beat down by our 145 champ, who, oh, by the way, after that fight would probably have very few people to fight against and sell. And after Nunez gets her ass beat, who do you then put Nunez against? She's just, you know, she's been, uh, she will have been, had her credibility destroyed. You know, this isn't a case of like a Conor McGregor who, you know, jumping him up in weight or jumping, he doesn't get hurt. He doesn't lose much with his losses. Um, in this case, Amanda Nunes hasn't done nearly as much selling uh, or winning in the same sense as McGregor to to be able to jump up, lose to Cyborg, and still maintain any credibility. So I don't see that happening. Now, what does this mean for Holly Holm? Boy, I'll tell you what, I'm cynical on that. I'm, I'm, I'm selling. I'm really selling. Holly was not looking good coming into this fight, uh, and now it's... It really just does not look good. What is she, what is she going to do? She's going to drop back down to 135, where she has been losing frequently, where she has not looked great, where it appears at least that, that opponents have got her figured. Um, now, she could still sell, I think. I think she's still a bit of a draw. People recognize her name um, 
from her boxing career, obviously hardcore fans still like her, and from beating Ronda Rousey, people still recognize her name, but, geez, it, it, it will be, uh, it will have to be a very interesting fight to make a Holly Holm fight uh, a desirable watch again, right? Because this, at the end of the day, this is about what is a fight that you could put her in that people would say, yes, I'm watching that. No, no way about it. Uh, am I missing that fight? Cyborg was one of those. I don't know what she's got now. So it'll be interesting to see uh, who they could even throw her against. I mean, she's... With the number of losses she's got, you can't really put her against... I mean, you can't really put her against any of the top contenders right away because, you know, she's more or less... Um, she's more or less doesn't have the credibility to have those fights anymore because of the recent losses. You know, you can't put her in against Nunez. She's lost to Nunez. You can't put her in against... Um, um, you know, Julian, maybe Juliana Pena, maybe Pennington, but Durandamy she's lost to, uh, Shevchenko she's lost to, so, and she hasn't really earned any of those top fights either, so are you going to put her in against someone in the bottom of the top 10, like a Sarah McMahon maybe, or, I don't know, I don't know, but it's, it's not a great look, it's not a great look for her right now, don't know where they go from here. Uh, elsewhere on that card, the fight that I was really jacked up to see, uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov versus Edson Barboza. Ma'am, this was uh, on paper, uh, in practice, um, no cut and dry, no matter how you looked at it, this was a very, very interesting, cool fight. Khabib is... Um, if he wasn't Russian, if he was American, he would be a... Big time draw in the U.S. As it is, he still has a bit of that eccentricity to American audiences. I don't think he necessarily translates. Even though his broken English and his trash talk is top game. It really is. It's top game. And he goes into the cage and he kills people. He is he is so talented. He is such an, uh, uh, as a fighter, his talents uh, and skills lends to this sort of inevitability that once he gets his hands on you, there's he's going to find a way to get you to the mat. Uh, and once he's got you there, he's going to find a way to work you over. You know, it's 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 truly incredible to watch. It, he has um, an air about him the same way as a grappler that, that someone like a Conor McGregor has as a striker, where when you watch Conor McGregor standing across from someone within striking range, you are just waiting for them to catch that that punch right on the edge of McGregor's reach and get dazed and wobble and go down. Nurmagomedov is like that. Once you see him kind of firing forward and get within grabbing distance of a guy, get anywhere near a clinch, anywhere near a leg, it's you know they're going to hit the mat, and you know you're, they're going to spend the next four or five minutes there. And that's more or less what he did here against Edson Barboza. Uh, worked him over for, for three rounds. Took him down... Moved out his post hand, you know, would grab his wrist, pull out his post hand so Edson couldn't kind of prop himself up. Uh, he would snake his legs and crucifixes to keep him from getting any base movement from his legs and just pop him and work him and work him and work him with, with punches. Um, 
maybe this is not a great comparison, but the way he fights reminds me of a more relentless George St. Pierre when he fought against Nick Diaz, where he just took him down and rode him and worked him over. You know, but GSP wasn't throwing real power shots there. It never felt like he was really hurting Diaz in that fight. Habib hits guys on the mat, and he is he is popping guys. He's popping them hard. You see their head uh, uh, flick back. You see, you know, you can tell that there's impact with those shots. Um, and he looked really, really good again. Uh, apparently, he said his weight cut this time, which has been a big issue for him in the past, was v- was great. He said he said he's got no problems making the weight, uh, which is fine if he wants to convince himself of that. But I think in the long term, it would just be you know better for him to go up to to welterweight, honestly, uh, better on his body, long term. And and he's a big lightweight. He can hang at welterweight for sure. He could. So. It will be interesting to see if, if he doesn't win the belt at lightweight, either from Conor McGregor or Tony Ferguson, maybe he can hop up to welterweight. I think he can easily make hay there and, you know, um, really uh, extend his career. Uh, as for Edson Barboza, uh, you know, despite taking a beating in that fight, he did about as well as you can possibly imagine someone doing against Khabib Nurmagomedov right now. You know, when when they were at striking range, he was he was not afraid to throw. He threw leg kicks. He threw some great combinations and really stung Nurmagomedov at times. Um, but ultimately, it, it was one of those situations where it was two steps forward, three steps back, because Nurmagomedov, as soon as he would start landing, Nurmagomedov would find a way to get, a, get, get in, in close and take him down. Um... And even more credit to Barboza that late in that third round, this was not a guy who looked mentally beaten. He came out and he started throwing back. He knew what he had to do. Uh, and he came and he threw hard. He, he did not give up. And I got to give him a lot of credit for that. That speaks, um, that speaks to his future prospects as a remaining in the top five. Uh, you know, I've been down on Barboza before. Because this is a guy who has had incredible highs and then some strange lows and has always seemed really inconsistent and unable to um, take that next big step. Um, and this Nurmagomedov fight, this Nurmagomedov fight was the result of a big step that he had finally taken in his career. Finally coming through on all his talents and getting uh, what it was in essence a number one contender fight. Um, and he lost. So again, that falls into that narrative with his career, that this is a guy who, is he ever going to take that leap? Is he ever going to find himself in the conversation of uh, within reaching distance of gold? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I, I think he will. I think at some point in his career, he's too talented. He's too tough of a matchup for 90% of people in that division that the stars aren't at some point going to align for him to get that chance. And I would like to see it. He's an exciting fight. I always like to watch Edson Barboza fights. When he's on a card, I am excited and interested and want to see it. Now, what goes on from here? Nurmagomedov um, said that he... (laughs) This is what I'm talking about. A-plus trash talk game, okay? 
He said on the mic after that he would take on Ferguson and Conor McGregor the same night. And you know what? I, honestly, I wouldn't put it past him. Those Dagestani boys, they seem a little bit crazy. And the way that he fights, uh, his style, if we were actually talking in a realistic universe, like a pride Grand Prix of some kind, he's got the style to do it. You know, the ability to uh, beat guys down and not take a lot of damage. You can fight two guys in one night, for sure. Now, of course, the fight that that is the most interesting is the McGregor fight. Simple fact that that with Ferguson, there doesn't feel like there's any energy between uh, Ferguson and McGregor. Now, between Ferguson and Nurmagomedov, certainly there is. They've tried to make that fight multiple times, and it has fallen through multiple times, and they have called each other out multiple times as a result of that. And now... That feels like that could be the fight that happens before any McGregor fight happens. Um, but you never know with Connor. Uh, you know, he could decide, yep, coming back in March now, and I'll take on either one of those guys. I'll defend my belt, or fuck it. Maybe I'll just fight, uh, get into boxing. Who knows? Who knows what he's going to do? Um, but if it is Nurmagomedov, if he is going to fight Nurmagomedov, because here's the thing. Connor doesn't necessarily have to fight Ferguson first. He's never done anything the right way or the, the conventional way. He could just say, screw it, I'll take on the, the other guy. I mean, it would be amazing and terrible for the UFC to have him undermine the champion like that, but you never know. And there's a, that would be a great fight. Um, McGregor might be the only guy in the sport because of the way Nurmagomedov fights you essentially have to be a sniper and, and, and really catch him coming in and catch him at those ranges and, and, and make those shots count. Every time you land it, it has to be something that hurts him and stings him. McGregor is one of the few guys that has that ability. We've seen it against Eddie Alvarez. You know, he, he was able to catch Eddie Alvarez and, and wobble him. Uh, we've seen him do that against... Uh, you know, Jose Aldo, one-punch knockout. We've seen him do that against a lot of guys. He has that ability to catch guys and just change the dynamic of a fight like that. Change the. He can do that against a guy like Nurmagomedov. If Nurmagomedov is not minding his P's and Q's, McGregor might be the most accurate, precise sniper, counter-striker in the sport. And that's that feels kind of like what you need to take out Nurmagomedov. You need to put him away. Who knows where that was? I would love to see that fight. But I would love to see any fight between those three guys. So let's hope that in the new year, the UFC does the right thing and gives us at least one. Just one. Now on to some more sad news. Uh, the return of Carlos Condit. Carlos Condit, of course, hadn't, been fight uh, hadn't fought for the last year. Um, coming in against Neil Magny. This really felt like the UFC was throwing Condit a prove you still got it kind of fight. Magny is 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 a tough matchup for almost anybody in the division, but is clearly not elite. Uh, he's a guy whose strengths are also sort of offset at the same time by these these weaknesses in the, in those facets. You know, he's big, he's long, he's rangy, but he doesn't really use his range well. Uh, he's a volume striker, but you know he doesn't really have. Uh, that overwhelming sense of him. He's a good grappler. He's a good takedown artist. Um, 
but he's he's going to lose out against, you know, like anyone would, of course, against the Damian Mayas of the world, which he has. Con- this felt like a fight where they were really trying to get Condit to prove he still had it. And um, sad to say, but it doesn't seem that way. Uh, Carlos has always been a guy whose takedown game was almost non-existent. Um, but he always made up for it with that ferocity, that ability to, you know, just chew guys up on the feet with a variety of, of weapons. But if you get him to the mat, you know, he's going to try and scramble with you. And this did not feel like the kind of fight where if he hit the mat, his scrambling ability was going to be, was going to work for him. Magni is a, is a stifling kind of ground artist, and that's what exactly what happened. Carlos, as soon as his, his non-existent takedown, you know, failed him, he hit the mat, and Magni was sort of in half guard and laying on him and hitting him a little bit here and there. And Carlos just, he did not look like the Carlos Condit of old. Um, and I'm afraid to say, I feel like the tread has really worn off the tires at this point, which is sad, which is sad. Carlos is one of, um, he's always been a big fan favorite. I'm a, I'm a big favorite of his. He's one of my boys. Um, Always an exciting fighter, like Edson Barboza. Any time I saw Carlos Condit's name on a bill, I was watching that fight. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know if that that'll hold true anymore. I'd sure like to see him kind of move on finally and just settle down and retire. Because he's, by all indications, he's a really good guy um, with a family, and I'd just like to see him um, maybe not take as much punishment anymore. But that's the human in me. The competitor in him might disagree. Uh, another quick, quick shout-out to Tim Elliott, uh, who opened the card uh, with a, a victory over De La Rosa with just a fantastic fight. His scrambling, his grappling ability, he's so fun to watch fight. I highly recommend looking back at some of Tim Elliott's fight. He returned to the UFC after winning tough, got his chance at Demetrius Johnson to try and win the flyweight belt. Uh, really gave Johnson a tough, tough matchup, but ultimately, as everyone has against Demetrius Johnson, that only worked so much um but this fight was fantastic just super action-packed it's the kind of fight that i would show to anyone who says i don't really like the mat stuff you got to watch this it was just so quick and it was these exchanges of submission attempts and scrambling really really fun uh so kudos to tim elliott that was a great fight really good time um really good fight to watch can't wait to see him fight again uh some quick notes elsewhere not ufc 219 um, well, let me, I'm going to, I'm going to say, you know what, last thoughts on 219, uh, ultimately it felt like a very predictable night for the year end card for the UFC. It did not feel very special, uh, at the end of the night. You know, a lot of that has to do with the way the fights go. If they're exciting fights, you know, you, you kind of ignore that. Uh, but this all felt very predictable. The cyborg win, Condit kind of looking shot, um, Miles Jury kind of doing what he's been doing, uh, a workmanlike win, but nothing too outstanding. The inevitability of Nurmagomedov and then the Esperanza-Calveo fight was just kind of okay. It was all very underwhelming and predictable. For a year-end card for the UFC, not a great look. Uh, and, and, you know, does not... It does not look good for the UFC that they could not put something together uh, for their year-end card, you know? 
it's the state of affairs in the UFC. The way they're matchmaking now, um, at least at the top end of cards, seems to be that they're trying to go for these big go-for-broke fights. And it would be nice if they if they just focused on the matchmaking competition, putting the best against the best. That always worked. That always worked to, to put together really nice cards, really good cards. Uh, so UFC 219 was disappointing in that sense. Okay, so the other news. Uh, rumor is Mackenzie Dern may be making her UFC de debut next year. Um, the UFC has long been looking for an heir apparent to Ronda Rousey, and Mackenzie Dern's been getting a lot of pub. Uh, she's uh, one of the top Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioners uh, uh, for ladies in the world. She's really good. Uh, I, personally, I have not seen a lot of her, her grappling stuff, but I've seen her MMA fights. Um, and for the amount of pub she's getting, yeah, it's, it's, there's not a lot of substance there just yet. She's looked really like good. She's looked like she's got talent and skills, but not that incredible marketing uh, star force. Not, she doesn't seem to have that superpower that a lot of elite prospects have. Um, but it will be interesting to see her in the UFC. The you know the UFC can always, always, always subtract any star power from the equation. They can always use talented, skilled uh, women MMA fighters. So here's hoping that the Mackenzie Dern uh, proves that. Also, my boy, one of my favorite fighters. Ah, uh, and it was disappointing when he left the UFC. Kyoji Horiguchi, the Japanese flyweight, had his title shot against Demetrius Johnson too early. Uh, is now with Ryzen FC, the Japanese promotion. Won their Grand Prix tournament this weekend and looked exceptional. Uh, will he ever come back to the UFC? Doubtful. I don't think the UFC would be willing to pay uh, to have him come back. I mean, you know, the UFC might move away from their flyweight division entirely, so who's to say? But good to see him out kicking ass as usual. Hasn't missed a beat. Uh, it's really only Demetrius Johnson, and hey, DJ is kryptonite to anybody. All right, so next week we will talk about the next UFC card, uh, headlined by Duho Choi and Jeremy Stevens, and also look back on the year that was 2017, some of my favorite fights, favorite fighters, favorite stories. Who knows what we'll talk about, uh, but we'll just recap the year because that's, that's fun. That's fun, uh, and nostalgia is a trip, man. Love nostalgia. So thank you for joining me. Uh, I hope to get these things out here more regularly again, but now I got a kid, so maybe I'll, you know, I might not have as much time. Maybe I'll be doing this as I'm changing diapers. I don't know. I won't tell you that because that's disgusting, but I'll have a silent laugh, a knowing laugh to myself. Or not, whatever. I'm sorry I even brought it up. Thank you for joining me. I am Reese Dovigan, your host. This is The Hurt Take. I'm out. 